Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast that drops on Sundays. We always just feel like we need more college football content on Sundays, especially during the season where we go back and we review everything that took place. Obviously, national championship game, our last college football game of the season. That in and of itself um, is disappointing. But like we said before, we're going to keep this going throughout the course of the year and make this an off-season college football podcast as well because really kind of following in the NFL model, uh, college football has begun to become that a little bit anyway. It's amazing when I sit down every Saturday night and Sunday morning the last couple of weeks outside of the bowl games and begin to think about what are we going to talk about, what do we want to structure this show about this week outside of reviewing a certain game or two. There's a ton of stuff that we need to go through. And honestly, I could make this an hour, hour and a half if I wanted to. We like to keep it around 30, 45 minutes to keep it short and tight and concise for you, not to waste your time. But we got a lot of information that we need to get to. We're brought to you each and every week by our friends at Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious, as you know. You hear me talk about them each and every week because they are wonderful delicious, eat them by themselves, put them on your favorite sandwich. Uh, They are unique and they are fantastic. Um, I want to start the show by uh, just sending some thoughts and prayers with the Georgia football family with the loss of offensive lineman um, Devin Willick and football staffer Chandler Chandler LaCroix. She was in the recruiting department um, a car accident that took place overnight and those two lost their lives way, way, way too young. And anyone who you talk about will tell you that both were absolutely fantastic human beings, wonderful to be around, just full of life and energy and had a lot more to give um, to this world. So um, it was a, it was an awesome day for Georgia on Saturday to celebrate that national championship. And I can't imagine the people inside that football facility uh, and the teammates and the people on the team and the people in administration and in that recruiting department that are dealing with significant loss. Um, n- not easy at all. And my thoughts and prayers are with them, especially with their families, because uh, I can't imagine um, losing someone at that age. And it's got to be extremely difficult. And I hate even having to talk about it because it just does not seem fair. It doesn't seem right that that they're gone and they're taken from us. So thoughts and prayers with everybody inside that Georgia facility. We will come back to Georgia in a few moments, and we will talk national championship game against TCU. We'll recap all of it because it was something else. Wow. A couple other news and notes that we want to get to happening around the SEC. First off, Alabama. Tyler Harrell hits the portal, so that's a couple of receivers now that have hit the portal, and even though there may not have been one, two, or three that were overly productive for Alabama this year, the numbers, I think you start to begin to be a little bit concerned about. 
and you wonder right, who's going to fill that void next year. Alabama's going to hit the portal at wide receiver. I don't think it's, there's any doubt about it. Uh, and even though there's some young talent on that football team, I still think you'll see Nick Saban bring in a couple of guys that can help that team right away. Um, obviously, some of the other NFL departures that we've seen, uh, especially on the back end of the defense, things are going to be a little bit different. Now they're going to be really different because Pete Golding has taken the defensive coordinator job for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I think this is a great get for Lane Kiffin. I understand that there are a lot of people that say that Pete Golding has not lived up to the standard of Alabama defenses. Uh, I am a little more under the impression that you're not going to get 2009, 2010 Alabama defenses anymore. Uh, But I know what the Tennessee game was. I saw it. Um, You can say lack of adjustments or didn't like what happened, but trust me, some adjustments were made. Some things were tried to take place and it just, it, it, that wasn't their day. Tennessee had their number, the formations into the boundary, the different things that took place. We talked a lot about how and why those things happen. Um, It goes on Pete Golding. He's a D coordinator, but reality is if you want to compare them to some other defenses around the SEC, like Georgia, they didn't have as good a personnel bottom line. And I think where Alabama has not had as good a personnel that's made the most difference has been inside. And you can, let's just look at Georgia and and look at what they have inside in Jalen Carter, how much that changes your defense. So uh, it'll be an interesting challenge for Pete at Ole Miss because he's not going to have anywhere near the players that he had. Also, previously, Lane had wanted to go to sort of a 3-3-5. He sent his guys up to Iowa State to study that defense a little bit. He thought he had to sort of play that a little bit more. Um, And I'll, I, I think that that is, a big move for Ole Miss. I don't think it's a massive loss for Alabama because I I, I think what Nick will bring in will be close. Uh, and that starts with Austin Armstrong, who we'll get to in here in just a minute. But I don't think Pete Golding is anywhere near bad of a coach as a lot of other people do. That's just me. And that, that has to do with conversations about football, conversations about players, conversations about scheme. Like I've, I have spent a lot of time talking football with Pete Golding. I, I know what he knows. I know how he knows it. And I know got a pretty good idea how he coaches it. Um, that being said, this was not one of those Nick Saban, hey, it's time for you to find another job. I don't want to fire you publicly, which is maybe the thing I respect more about Nick Saban than anything else. He does not fire his coaches publicly. Um, he places them other places. This was not a placement. It just wasn't. Uh, there are other circumstances that are a part of this. There are other reasons this decision was made. And that's all I'm going to say about it because it's not my place to say anymore. But I'll say for those folks at Ole Miss and for Alabama that are celebrating this, do not think that this was a get out of town because you're not any good anymore. It just wasn't that. That's all I'm going to say. Austin Armstrong is going to join the staff. The capacity not known yet. Pete Thamel reported that. Uh, And I'll just say this. I've had multiple conversations with Austin about football. He is a he is a boy wonder. He is a whiz kid when it comes to, to defense and scheme and philosophy. And the coolest part about Austin is he can take, and I've seen this, very, very, very complicated things defensively, and he can coach it. And I think a lot of it is because of how he installs it, and a lot of it is because of how everything ties together in and out of his defenses. So names of pressures, names of alignments, names of stunts, and then how they're all paired up with what they actually run and when they're going to run them makes it much easier for guys to learn. So he has a great way of getting his guys to be able to understand things and learn things that are very complicated, but in an easy way. That is a massive gift for Alabama. A lot of you I know don't understand or don't know who Austin Armstrong is right now, but I promise you he is a young rising star in this profession. Uh, a lot of talk about Glenn Schumann coming over. 
I know the background. I get it. I understand it. Don't really know why he'd want to leave the situation he's in now. Um, but, you know, everybody has their own reasons for doing certain things. We'll see on that one. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, as my understanding is, cannot happen right now. I know a lot of people wanted to. It would be great. I think Jeremy's brilliant. I think he's one of the best in-game defensive coordinators I've seen. But I, I don't believe that can take place right now. So I'm not going to say definitively 100%, but my understanding is until the Tennessee thing is done, done, that that can't happen. So there's that. Uh, there are a couple other names that are being thrown around that I don't really know if they're if they're a great fit and they don't have really an understanding of what Coach Saban wants or how he operates. So I would say probably not on, on some of those. All right, that's Alabama from an Auburn perspective. Really been hitting the defensive line hard. Um, and the offensive line. Offensive line has been fantastic what they've done in the portal. Most recently, East Carolina center Avery Jones went and studied Avery. Um, and you guys know that we, we've talked about some of the others that are brought in. This tackle from Western Kentucky, I don't think he's as game ready to come in and be an SEC starter as other people do believe. The kid from Tulsa, uh, I think he can come in to play and be really good right now. Big time player right away. Um, I think Avery Jones, a guy who can come in and help you. He has good lateral quickness. He's athletic. Uh, I do think he gets a little out of control at times, a little sporadic. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit, you know, overextends himself to, uh, to a certain extent, but I think he's a solid player and he's got, he's got good power, really good quickness, very athletic, good on his feet, changes directions. Well, uh, so a guy who has a chance to come in and play center right away. All that being said, all those guys, it's it's all an upgrade for Auburn because that position has been that bad for that long. So that's all good. Um, Brian Batie, tailback from South Florida, amazing person, productive back, can help you on special teams, uh, big time player. Now, as far as an SEC tailback, I'm not saying he's going to be this much better than everybody else, but he can come in and help right away because I think he can do a lot of different things. He was really good for South Florida when he kind of became the guy. Uh, Nick Martyr, the, the Cincinnati wide receiver, kind of an in-between sort of a an Anthony Mix-ish type receiver, not that thick, uh, a thinner body, but a bigger target. And Auburn kind of doesn't really have that, if you think about it. A 6'6 guy on the perimeter that can help you in the red zone. But don't get this twisted. This is not a... a like Trey Knox at Arkansas will be a decent comp, but like Trey Knox not afraid to get in there. Well, Trey Knox is at South Carolina now, but he's not afraid to get in there, put his face mask, and somebody mix it up and block a little bit. Um, Nick is not an overgrown tight end. I don't I don't see him moving down to kind of an H or an inline tight end, even sometimes. Like physically, I don't think he's there for that. Can help you on the outside a little bit, win a couple of times, go up and get a few jump balls. Um, back to the defensive line. Purdue defensive tackle Lawrence Johnson, big, heavy prototypical interior SEC defensive lineman uses his hands really well, strikes and sheds really well. So you'll see him get his hands on an offensive lineman, get him off, be able to go left, right. He's got good pass rush moves for an interior guy as well. I'm not saying he's Quentin Williams or anything or Nick Fairley, but he's a decent pass rusher for a 310, 315 pounder. Um, the Messiah Nasil kite from Maryland, very different body style. He's a much more, uh, low body fat, kind of a boxy, muscular defensive lineman. So he's not going to be a guy that like more of a Leonardo Carson type body. If you're an old school Auburn fan from when I played, uh, not a not a guy that you're going to look at like you know doesn't have the big belly, not not a ton of girth, but he actually holds a point of attack pretty well. He you know he he plays just under 300, I think, and he looks like he weighs 270. He carries his weight really well. He could probably add a little bit on. Holds a point of attack well, but he moves really well. He's actually really fast when you see him down the line of scrimmage. So I think he's somebody who can help Auburn outside the tackle box 
starting inside the tackle box. So he's just a different body type for an interior defensive lineman that they can help in different ways. But then they get Justin Rogers out of Kentucky. Justin Rogers, big time. He is a really good player. He is a two gapping SEC prototypical interior defensive lineman. Like he looks apart. He's big. He's physical. Uh, he's got good hands. He can, he can strike shed, get two gaps over, make a play. He can bull rush. He is a big time SEC interior defensive lineman. And he looks the part, plays the part. It's a big gift for Hugh Freeze and his staff. O-line Dion Hugh doing a great job. Um, Mississippi State goes and hires Kevin Barbe, uh, offensive coordinator out of App State. Uh, I don't know a ton about him. Uh, I did watch a lot of app this year. I, I feel like the philosophy here is to just bring in a little bit more balance. I was with a lot of other folks thinking it would just be air raid. Why would you want to make Will Rogers unhappy? Why would you want to run a receiver two out of town? Why would you want those offensive linemen to learn different technique and fundamentals, which looks like with Will Friend coming in, that's probably what you were going to do. I don't know what happens to Mason Miller now, uh, the previous offensive line coach, but he's been successful wherever he's been. And, you know, this is now Zach Arnett's team. So not going to get away from what he wants or why he wants it. You know, I'll, I'll trust Arnett with, with this being his team and what he wants to do. Uh, some massive news out of South Carolina. We know they've been hit hard in the portal. I mean, it, it has been brutal. Gilbert Edmond, Jordan Burks left. He's going to Oregon. Uh, Jaheim Bell tied in. You know, he's going down to Florida State, who's been killing it in the portal. Um, but Spencer Rattler says he's coming back. Played great football at the end of last season. Now, new offensive coordinator, uh, Satterfield going up to Nebraska. So things might be just a little bit different as far as how they call plays, the formations that they use. But I, I, I don't really see... Coach Beamer getting away too far away from what they were, what they have been. So I'm not concerned about it from that point. Uh, and I trust him as far as going and get a guy that can call plays and be successful. And he's got some experience in the league. But now you get Rattler back, another offseason to develop, play great down the stretch. We know he's got the tools and the physical ability. And if the game slows down for him a little bit more, he's going to have Juice Wells back. Now, Jovan Gwynn's going to the NFL, starting guard. He's going to be out. But Rattler and Wells back, that is massive for South Carolina. They got plenty at tailback. I think they're still pretty good at tight end. So depending on what that offensive line could be and that defensive line next year, South Carolina could be fun to watch uh, because Rattler and Wells alone are going to make them interesting going into next season. Um, Tennessee had a big week in the portal. Number of guys coming in. Uh, Dante Thornton, wide receiver out of Oregon, obviously going to try to take the place of Tillman and Hyatt and some of those guys who are leaving. Um, a good class coming in for Tennessee as well, but you know, a couple positions that they've had to plug because of who's been gone, and they've had a couple big losses to the draft on the offensive line. Uh, I think that they've gone out and they've addressed that, and they've gone and met some of those needs through the portal. So a good week for Josh Heupel in the portal. Tennessee kind of getting it done there. Finally, before we go into the national championship game, the Florida situation and Jaden Rashada. Uh, Florida commit, Miami commit, flip. Florida commit now says allegedly wants out of his – uh, national letter of intent, not NIL, but NLI, which has a lot to do with NIL name, image, likeness. Uh, this is one of our first case studies of things of just how complicated things can be with this new age that we're living in. Um, I'll say this first and foremost, based on my knowledge of it, don't kill the kids just yet. Uh, there are a lot more people involved in this than you may realize, or you may know. So I, I don't think that this is him trying to play puppeteer or, you know, trying to mess with people or just not being able to make up his mind. I think there are, there are a lot of cooks in this kitchen 
And unfortunately, sometimes they can override the head chef, which would be the actual player, the one who needs to be making the decision. Um, but there's been some misunderstanding with some numbers of what was needed, what was going to be delivered, and what was had. And from collectives, boosters, agents, players, parents, relatives, friends, seven-on-seven coaches, we see now you're beginning to get an idea where this can get really complicated really fast. And, I mean, keep in mind, see a young man that agent floated some numbers out on the previous stop, and then player actually shot those numbers down, which what, why? There's a lot. Just keep that in mind here. There's a lot happening. I actually feel bad for him because wherever he ends up, there's already going to be a perception of what he is or who he is. That ain't right, in my opinion. Uh, because it's not all on him as to why that perception was developed. So I I just hate the fact that he's going to have work to do in the locker room as soon as he gets wherever he's going. And it's just an unfortunate circumstance of where we are today. I think a lot of people have an understanding that this is not name, image, and likeness as it was designed to be, as what we wanted it to be, as what people kind of fought for. This is legitimate pay for play, and this is enticement to a certain extent in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different places, in a lot of different areas. But we now see where a lot of it can get really complicated. And it's unfortunate for a lot of people involved uh, because I know Billy and the guys at Florida are trying to do it right, yet things are getting twisted. Um, so that's that. I'm sure we'll have more information on it later, and we'll come back to it. Let's get into the game. Um, Wow. Did not anticipate this being to this extent. 65 to 7. Georgia absolutely smashes TCU. And there have been a couple of things that people have said, well, I knew this was going a certain way when this happened. First thing being Kirby Smart when asked by Holly Rowe when his defense was going to take the field initially, what do you want to see from your defense? And he said aggression, which I almost felt like you could have walked away right there. And I mean, that answer was badass enough for me to just say, oh, shit, here we go. Uh, but going a little bit further, explained himself as to, you know, hey, we, we want to be physical. We want to win the point of attack. We want to dominate. And then if you heard the pregame speech, I think most of you probably would have known if you heard that before the game started, you just said it was over then. Well, fast forward a little bit more, three and out, Georgia gets the ball. And if you go back and you watch it and you notice that George on that first play under Todd Munkin, they motion over and they run counter. There's a false start. Well, what happens? They motion back over and they run counter again. Now, to me, that is essentially Todd Munkin saying, we don't really give a shit what you're doing. We're going to run what we run and it's probably going to work. Now, the other side of that is Coach Munkin did operate that way, but he didn't go out there and run two plays. He ran everything under the sun. It was one of the best game plans and called games that I've seen in a very long time. The way in which he organized formations, personnel groupings, motions, shifts, play calls, how they married up to one another, how the motions married up to some of the route tree, how the play actions were married up to the run game how the screens were married up to the protection. It all gelled. That offense was legitimately like a giant amoeba on that field. And the tentacle, the like the arms, it was all glued together, but the arms of it 
whether it was play action, run game over here, screen game and protections going back this way, uh, you know, the RPO game, the formations, the motions, the players, the personnel groupings. I mean, you had you had tight ends in the backfield, receivers in the backfield. You had two back sets. You had multiple tight end sets, 12, 13 personnel. So one back, two tight ends. You had empty motion back in with the back in the backfield, back in the backfield motion out to empty. And it was just everything, man. It was beautiful to watch. It was, it was, it was art from Coach Munkin in that game. And yes, I'll give him credit all that, but also give the players a lot of credit. They went out and executed it. Uh, I thought Stetson Bennett played lights out. I thought the offensive line played fantastic. One of the most impressive portions of that game, watch the perimeter blocking if you ever go back and watch this game again. The tight ends, the receivers, the backs. A run play off right tackle, the receivers lined up out wide to the left are blocking their asses off 10 yards down the field. And I'm talking like going at guys. We know what receivers usually block like, just kind of get in the way, oh, I fell down. Or, ha, yeah, let's act like we're being mean to each other and really we're just trying not to get hurt. We don't like doing this anyway. These kids were going after it. I mean, like physical, just gritty. And there was one little quick screen to Bowers out to the right, and you saw – Darnell Washington, like five yards downfield. Lad McConkey, like 10 yards downfield. And then I believe it was A.D. Mitchell, like another 15 yards downfield. And like all three are just like boom, 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 trying to move guys down the field. It was beautiful to watch. Um, it was physical brutality at its best. I mean, seriously, that that football game on both sides of the ball was we are bringing a group of gladiators that we just don't think you're going to be able to physically hold up against. And they did. And that's what it was. And there was a lot of brilliance that was involved with how they did it. But at the end of the day, I think that's what was not, that was the part that was not going to be matched. It just wasn't. Now that being said, it's not like Georgia lined up and ran inside zone 37 times and just blew this defense off the ball. It it didn't work that way. What I think Munkin understood was because this three, three, five was so different and so unique, We're not going to sit back and try to run a couple of things where the second time or the third time or the fourth time you try to knife through or a run through is something that would usually hurt us. That won't take place because you're not going to get a play the third time. You're not going to get a play the fourth time. You're not going to get a formation the second time. I mean, when, when I went through and charted it, I mean, it took 30 plays before you got to the same run play twice. So let me explain that. The first 30 plays of the game, there were only two run plays that were repeated. And I believe that was duo and inside zone. And it was the 30th play where you got inside zone for the second time. So there was no beating the head against the wall of run it again, like the old school coach would say, run it again, because he just thinks it's going to work and it's not going to work. It was it was beautifully orchestrated to the extent of you might be right once or twice, but we are going to offer up so many different things that I would bet my bottom dollar you're going to be wrong a lot more than you're going to be right. And by God, they were. And like I said, give the players credit for the execution of it. One of the other things we talked about was against that defense, you had to get north and south in the run game. Well, there was some end around stuff that actually worked out because the misdirection got going so well for how they were lined up and what they were doing. But on the gap scheme runs, on duo plays, it was one cut north and south, 
And I think that's what helped that run game go a little bit more. And the protection was just phenomenal. I mean, Stetson Bennett had nothing to worry about from a protection standpoint in that game. It was beautiful. Uh, on the flip side, it was it was almost as masterful from Glenn Schumann and Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp. You give them all credit for how they put this thing together. Because one of the things that we talked about in the previous week's pod, what I was interested to see was, would this defense go at this offense? Because they can spread you out. They have quarterback run. Quarterback can leave the pocket. You have the screen game. If you got one-on-ones, you can take the shot plays. And right off the bat, it it did not disappoint. Schumann and company were at it early. It was movement pre-snap, movement post-snap, a couple of run stunts. You saw the one zone replay with the run stunt, the, the defensive end folded right back inside. You're reading one. He leaves. All of a sudden, he's gone. Hand it off. Here comes Loop Man. Boom. Tackle for no gain. Those things worked out well, and I think that's another spot where Georgia just knew their speed, their athleticism, and then honestly, just the brute force was going to be too much. And I thought on that side of the ball, it was a fantastic game plan. Neither side waited and allowed any aggressive portion of this game to come at them first. There was no portion of the Georgia offense, no portion of the Georgia defense that sat back and said, we're going to wait and see if you can get us here, or we're going to wait and see if this works for you here. It was, we are going to attack you now. And if you can do something about it, then we'll adjust after that. And I love that game plan because that to me says, we're the better team. We're bigger. We're better. We're stronger. We're faster. Why should we not go out and do what we do best? Why should we not go out and take the fight to you right out of the gate instead of potentially allowing a team that knew they wouldn't be able to operate that way, find a little bit of success, get a little bit of confidence, gain a little bit of momentum, and then all of a sudden find a way to get some things going. So absolutely masterful out of the gate on both sides. I was really impressed with how it went. Uh, I thought Brock Bowers was phenomenal. I love the fact. Remember last week we had talked about there had been some games where where's 19 would love a little bit more 19. I'd like to see more 19 monk and wasted no time. Got him going early. Got him going right away. McIntosh ran the ball well again. And I mentioned that offensive line. I thought Cedric Van Pran did a nice job of identifying things, keeping everybody organized. They made it easy on some guys, too. You saw them lock the backside tackle a few times where, you know, they would run a zone play, but the backside tackle would stay, essentially saying, we're not going to allow for all this extra off-the-edge stuff to be able to be problematic. We'll just lock this up here. And then anything that happens in the next gap in, that's fine because we feel like that's where you're not going to want to live anyway. You're going to want to live outside the tackle. And that's when Stetson hit the one big run. It was just wide open out the gate. And if you go watch that big run, that zone read that he kept is really interesting. On the previous play, there was a there was a tight replay. Uh, and he kind of carried out a fake the other direction. And he was looking back the entire time. And you almost saw it in his eyes like, oh, hell yeah, we're coming back to that. And it's going to be wide open. Sure enough, boom, he came back and soop. It was wide open. He hit out the gate. But, I mean, this team, you go back and, I mean, just I'm going to give you kind of an idea uh, early on what was happening. And I, I can't go into all the, the verbiage, but I'll just give you an idea early, like how things were going. Uh, they ran nub into the boundary, ran counter right off the bat. We talked about that. Five-man pass protection, six-man pass protection, one out of empty, uh, one out of running back with an H-back, throwback screen. 
stretch play, zone read, single running back to the boundary, play action counter, split zone, drop back again, five-man slide protection. Then they ran truck out of gun. That's where they pull a couple of offensive linemen. Then they ran play action screen, play action six-man uh, pro. That was the touchdown. And there's another. here's another part quickly before I go on. Actually, I'll go on. I'll, just, I'll finish that real quick, and I'll come back to that. Uh, duo out of gun, outside zone bootleg, play action toss, with trips to the boundary. So they, they fake the toss and then were able to hit one. Um, then they hit duo from underneath center, five man pass pro five man pro slide inside zone. Uh, another play action out of the five man pro then zone cut where basically it's a zone play, but they're just hitting it backside because they know how the defense is playing them stretch lead two back with a tight end. It as a back leading running stretch play with a lead blocker. And then the quarterback sweep that scored a touchdown, tight end jet from around, gun out of duo out of 12 personnel, inside zone from under center, a wide receiver screen. I mean, folks, this was literally the kitchen sink and then all the utensils. Like Coach Munkin pulled the plumbing out of the kitchen and threw it at these guys. It was amazing. I want to go back to that one touchdown that we talked about that Stetson threw. It was a play action pass, six man pass probing, six guys staying in. But what do they do? They come out, change of possession, muddle huddle, sugar huddle, whatever you want to call it, quick to the line of scrimmage, and not just quick to the line of scrimmage, but sprint to the line of scrimmage, quick motion, snap the ball, boom, wide open. Steal the eyes, cause confusion, never let them get set. Here's why that's beautiful. There are so many people in a position of, well, there's not a ton of people, but there are a lot of programs and people who work for programs like Georgia that would feel like something like that is beneath them. They would say, that's high school hairy bullshit. Or, you know, we're not going to run that. That's high school stuff. And it's whatever. But Munkin sees an opportunity and doesn't have the ego to say, well, that's not something they would do in the NFL, so I'm not going to do it. Instead, says, we can gain an advantage there. So let's sugar huddle quick to the line of scrimmage. Don't just snap it. Give me a quick motion to make them think even more and let my quarterback to quickly see what the coverage is. If they happen to line up correctly and then boom, we're going for a touchdown. It's absolutely brilliant. And that's why he's tinkered sort of with tempo a little bit throughout the course of the year. Just he's not afraid to use things that some people may look down upon or may have too much ego to say, oh, yeah, we're going to utilize that. We're going to run that. And he uses it to his advantage. Brilliant game plan. Completely dominant performance. Um, I thought Schumann's plan was fantastic. He essentially said, we think we can beat you up front. And there were a couple of times when TCU was, I wouldn't say max protect, but they had three-man route tree. And George is sitting there with a spy on Max Duggan. And it's still three or four on three or four or five on three. They still had the numbers on the back end with a spy, not bringing pressure. You're not going to beat Georgia that way. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, I thought Max Duggan looked panicked the majority of the game. I thought it took TCU too long to have the understanding of if they're going to move like this, we need to try to run North and South as quickly as possible. And that actually did get going a little bit 
uh, after the fourth or fifth possession, it just, I mean, it wasn't going to matter at that point. I mean, Georgia had way too much confidence, way too much momentum. Just they're going to shut that thing down. So unbelievable performance. Congrats to Kirby and, and Will and Schumann and Stacy Searles and those guys. Just an awesome performance. Back-to-back national championships. Uh, I mean, you're going to, we're going to talk about Stetson Bennett now as potentially having one of the best careers for any SEC quarterback. Put the period on it right there. Arguably best career of any SEC quarterback, period, right there. Because he's a starting quarterback for two titles. Now, Tebow, role player, got one, also got a Heisman, you know, ran for almost 3,000 yards, 52, seven touchdowns, whatever it was. Like, Tebow's on another level. Like he is, he is in his own stratosphere. But back down here on Earth, I mean, it was. I think AJ McCarron was a guy we talked about for a long time as like best career for an SEC quarterback. I'm not talking individual season because to me that's going to be debated between Burrow and Cam. Maybe you want Manziel to come into the conversation. Maybe one of Tebow's years. I still go Cam, then Burrow. That's just me. Look what Jefferson's doing. I mean, it's that cast was ridiculous, but still. Stetson Bennett is going to go down as having arguably one of the best careers of any SEC quarterback. And this is a guy that was trying to be run out of town multiple times, ultimate chip on his shoulder guy, and just flat got it done. And when you watch him operate, I understand the size concerns people, but he makes every throw. He's got plenty of velocity on that throw. He's got great wheels. There were three times in this game that I counted that TCU had a free runner at Stetson Bennett. When I say free runner, I mean a blitzer who was not going to be picked up. Once, he sixes out, not intentionally, because usually a six out happens intentionally, but he sixes out, so he leaves the pocket by turning clockwise around, leaves the pocket, goes and picks up first down yardage. The second was a touchdown to Bowers. The third was a 37-yard pass to Washington right down the seam. So three times, TCU caught Georgia in a protection that they couldn't pick up, and Stetson Bennett had two first downs, one rushing, one passing, and a passing touchdown. The guy just knows how to run it. He knows how to manage it, and he knows how to handle it. So he deserves all the credit that he's getting, and if there are any haters out there still, I don't know what your problem is, and I don't know why you can't just understand what the guy did. It was absolutely phenomenal. Great game plan, great execution, awesome season for Georgia. Congrats to them. And it's been a hell of a ride, a fun season. And, you know, looking back, it was kind of Georgia start to finish. Probably never should have doubted them. Certain points in time, I got to look excited with some other teams, but Georgia finished the deal and you give them credit from that. When we come back next week, we still have a lot to continue to discuss this off this off season. Portal is going to be happening. Now coaching changes are going to be happening. The more teams that get put out of the playoffs, the more coaches are going to be on the move there. So we'll have a lot for you. And either next week or the week after, we're just going to do kind of a final synopsis of each team's seasons. We might actually have to go east and west like two weeks on that. But I want to give that a little bit of time for things to sort of settle down where we can look at, okay, this is how many wins. This is how many losses. This is what they accomplished achieved overachieved now moving in who's there who's not there i want to do like a giant synopsis of each team but that might take us at least two weeks to do like one side each however but we're going to get to that over the next few weeks and we got a lot more to talk about so congrats to georgia national champions cube show college football podcast brought to you by our friends at wickles pickles wickedly delicious we'll be back next sunday with another episode
Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.